0: listening to the rainmaking podcast hosted by high stakes headhunter author and professional speaker Scott Love Hey everyone this is Scott Love and thanks for joining me on the rainmaking podcast So a lot of our shows are dealing on managing the crisis how do you deal with client development how do you manage work life balance and all the other things associated with that And today we're talking about stepping into difficult conversations in a time of a crisis. And our expert today is Rudir Krishtel, who is an expert on client development. He's an executive coach and a facilitator. He works with lawyers and the legal community he works on a wide range of issues, including career strategy, business development, building leadership skills, navigating workplace relationships, and even diversity and inclusion challenges. Rudier practiced law for 15 years as a litigation partner and then as senior counsel at Apple. His lawyer days even led him to train as a yoga teacher and a mindfulness meditation instructor. And he brings some of those insights to us today. I think you're going to find some great content in today's show. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Today, we've got a special guest, Radir Christel. And today, we're talking about stepping into difficult conversations in a time of crisis. Radir, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Now, Radeer, you've got a great reputation in the business development community. Tell us a little bit about how you got into the work of what you're doing currently. What was your path as you got into that role? I practiced law for 15 years. I was a partner
1: at a national law firm, Fish and Richardson, in an IP practice. And then for five years, I moved to the Bay Area, where I am now, Mm -hmm. and was in-house, senior in-house counsel at Apple. And after 15 years in the practice... I started to notice that the more senior I got, the more difficult it felt like to have open dialogue around what was difficult. You know, It almost felt lonelier the further up you got. And it was interesting because I'm a pretty interactive and social person. And yet I felt like some of the most unique challenges that I faced in the practice, I wasn't comfortable sharing with others. And so I noticed that. And I noticed that not only is... My own sort of personal behavior, but also a pattern in the practice that people were really looking for safe spaces to get advisement on important issues. And after noticing that about myself and others, I left the practice. And so, Mm -hmm. after 15 years, I left, I took a year off, and I retrained. I trained as an executive coach, and I also trained as a mindfulness and yoga instructor, allowing me to better understand how people manage difficulty and how they work with difficulty. And I took all that training and I started a coaching practice about two and a half years ago now. And
0: it's been going great. That's great. And you've and like I said earlier, you've got a great reputation in that area. And let me ask you this, how do you think the mindfulness part of it, how do you think that made an impact to you from the perspective of a business developer? So much of
1: our hangups and challenges with business development relate to our mindset and they relate to the difficulties that we experience in that process. And a lot of those difficulties are you know, how we engage with others, what we might be afraid to ask for, and even how we view ourselves with respect to others. And a lot of those challenges, I feel like, are a mindset shift. And so mindfulness practices go a significantly long way in allowing us to relieve ourselves of some of that thinking. You hear a lot about growth mindset now. And people that have this mindset around the pie is big, that there's actually a lot of opportunity, that there's a lot of chance, shifting your mind towards that uh, can go a really long way. So I find mindfulness practices to obviously be very valuable for managing stress and managing difficulty, but really to as a tool to help you shift your mindset. Because so much of this the challenges that people face with business development are you know, are there are stories that they're telling themselves about their practice that actually aren't true.
0: Right. That's interesting because if you think about, let's talk about IP partners, since you identify with people like that, some of those people might not be exactly swashbuckling rainmakers, but it's their job to get out there and close the sale and get the accounts and earn the trust of these in house counsel. So I'm sure that, that could be a stressful situation for somebody that's really having to, to kind of focus on, on their BD efforts. Well, so the practice is already stressful, right? Mm. Any IP litigator out there listening,
1: any litigator generally listening knows that the practice of law is stressful. It's now your drain in your energy by the end of the day. And then you have to turn to business development. And that's difficult. You know, your mind is already thinking about your cases. You're thinking about your workload. And now I got this hour that I may have even earmarked or not, where it's just sort of the, the last thing on the list of things to do. And there's no energy for it. Yeah. And so when we think about Managing our stress and mindfulness practices, oftentimes improving how we relate to the practice, can actually increase the amount of energy we have for actually engaging with others. And the other part of it is, is that when you're when you're practicing as a litigator, it's a pretty combative practice since you're often in this situation where you are working against opposing counsel and you're competing on teams and and working with a group of others and there's not a lot of time or energy to really be thinking about you know, how you could add value to other clients. And so at this point, you're so caught up in the work itself that you're not often thinking about the ways in which you could add value to, to so many other people, companies, organizations, etc. So your mind just doesn't go to that. And so I feel like really rethinking how we associate and relate to the practice can really make a big difference in, in, it? It? in business development.
0: That's a progressive idea. I really like that. And then plus you add on the other variable of the world's largest healthcare crisis on top of that, and then it kind of doubles down the amount of stress, anxiety, and feelings that people feel in this crisis. So what do you think with the context of the pandemic and how people in business development roles relating to this, what do you think is happening right now in this COVID era that relates to your work? Well, I think you, you hit it right on the head. I mean, just think about
1: it. There's this layer these layers of things happening underneath us right now that we might, we're probably thinking about, we may not even be thinking about all day, but we hit a health crisis, we hit an economic crisis, we hit isolation, you know, social distancing and isolation in some regards, there's social unrest, and then out here on the West Coast now and across the country, there's some environmental challenges. And so with all of that going on, and obviously parenting, and the, the challenges that families are having within yeah. their home. That's good
0: bring that up also. Kids. Yeah, many
1: layers, right? Yeah. So of course what happens, we get a bit more stress. We get a bit more reactive than usual. And I'm definitely by, you know, towards the end of this year, people start feeling that more and more because it
0: compounds. Let me kind of ask you to put on your mindfulness coach hat for a little bit. Then what, what do you recommend? What, how could people cope with this? Before we kind of talk about the conversations, what do you think people can do from a mindfulness perspective to kind of uh, be able to cope and really thrive in this environment?
1: Yeah, you know, I think a lot about what we need to do to build our resilience. And when I think about resilience, you know, there's the difficulties in life. And so if you put your left hand out, you can sort of weigh the difficulties. It's like work, health, you know, family, and then this whole COVID 2020 layer. And so that left hand is sort of weighing down. And so the right hand, you think about the things that restore you, the resources, and you kind of want your resources to outweigh what's difficult. And so what are the resources that we have? We eat well. We try to get some exercise. We try to get our sleep in. We have community. And then maybe we have some mental and emotional and spiritual practices that support us too. And because that whole framework has shifted this year, we might not have the social support we used to have. You know, we, we're not we're not spending time with our colleagues or our friends as much, and maybe some of our other outlets have gone away—going to the gym or whatever else that people did last year or do this year. They want to really think about the things that they can do that restore themselves and balance the week out a little bit, so that you know, if you're spending and you're grinding all week, that there is some restoration time on the weekends or in the evenings. And I think people want to think about what restores them right. and. Most people will tell you things that are actually pretty, like absolutely free, you know, very straightforward. I want to go for a walk outside. I'd love to get into nature, watching some TV. And I find that mindfulness practices on top of this have a huge benefit, which is really just sitting, meditating for about 10 Mm -hmm. minutes a day, you know, 10 to 20 minutes, ends up offering a lot of clarity, a lot of peace of mind, slows the mind down and Mm -hmm. makes you less reactive. And so I think... For those that are, you know, listening, I think if you're able to dedicate 10 to 20 minutes a day and get that in, even in the breaks, you know, when a call ends early, whatever it is, just sit, pay attention to the breath, put on a guided audio meditation, whatever works for you. Mm-hmm. You'll find in weeks and months that so much has shifted.
0: Let me come back to that in a second, because I want to I'm gonna kind of go down that path. And but first I wanted to ask you this. It's it's like if you sailed. I went to the Naval Academy, so we did a lot of sailing there and we learned that you can always see where the wind is coming from by looking up at the sail and they have these little ribbons sewn into the sail called tells. And you would look at those and it would be an indicator of the direction of the wind. What are some of those tells, those indicators that people have in their lives where they see that maybe they're getting a little bit out of balance? Maybe they're starting to go down an unhealthy path. What are some of the things that you've seen from your work in consulting to people on this, in this area?
1: Lawyers are really good at doing intake with others, you know, when you're deposing someone else or if you're, you know, being, connecting with a client, asking them about a challenge that they're facing or, you know, interviewing a witness, whatever it might be. We're good at intake. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is intake about ourselves and just do a check-in. I think the body is the first place to start. Is Mm -hmm. there tension Mm -hmm. in the body? Do I feel stress? What does stress feel like? Is it a little bit different than how I feel at different parts of the week? What are the things that move me to that place? And so I often invite clients to just actually take stock, gather the data in the way that they do with their clients, keep a small spreadsheet, date and time. What are the moments that cause you stress? And how does that rate zero to 10? You know, and then how to just take a look at the data for the course of the week or course of two weeks. That's great. I like that. So document it. You start to notice the trends and the patterns. You can start responding to it, but
0: we want to do intake first. That's a great idea. I like that. And let's kind of get back to the meditation part. And then I want to go more into the difficult conversations part, but what are some action steps people could take if they wanted to meditate? What do they do? Just make a list of all their big problems and think about those for 10 minutes or how how does that work? What do you recommend? For people that
1: do not have a meditation practice, there are very, very accessible ways to start. There's a lot of incredible apps out there like Headspace and Calm and Insight Timer and they offer these guided meditations that are, you know, 4, 6, 10, 15 minutes whatever you want to start with. On my website I have a list of guided meditations that I often use and invite right. people to check out.
0: Yeah, we'll put and, that we'll put that link on the show notes also for people that are listening that want to check that out.
1: Yeah, and for people that are just trying out for the first time download one of the apps, visit my website. There's a few other resources too and just um you know, sit for 10 minutes, listen to a guide, which is somebody else just inviting you to check in with your breath, pay attention to what's happening in the body and just quiet quiet down for a little bit and do it for 10 minutes a day for a week or for two weeks. And then, you know, feel free to email me or just check in with your own, the changes you've experienced and just take note. It's not about how you feel after that first session. It is really more of how you feel after a couple of weeks or a month or two of regular practice—it's something that builds over time. It's like inviting someone that's never worked out in their life to work out once. And then, <laughs> oh, you, you must have felt all the benefits after that first workout. No, no, right, no. Right. The real benefit comes after some consistent practice. And people that are doing that—when I did it, I started regularly meditating when I was at Apple. And you know, my stress at Apple my stress as a litigator, proudly, you know, zero to 10, what's your stress? A doctor would ask you, and I would say, I'm a 12. And I would always, I'm always that, wear that stress with pride, right? And I keep, I'm sure there are attorneys out there that, that resonate with that. It's like, no, I have a lot of stress and I'm supposed to because I'm a lawyer. Naturally, that went down to about a seven out of 10 in-house because at least I was sleeping at night, which is right. different than, right. you know, council life. But when I started meditating, it went from a seven to a two. Wow. And you know, the doctor would ask me like, what do you do? And I would tell them what I do. And they were just shocked that I was at two out of 10 on stress. And when I started meditating, it made all the difference in my practice. And I showed up with less stress. I showed up much more present in meetings. I was less reactive. The things that you know would trigger me in the workplace just weren't affecting me. And I had a lot more energy. I stopped drinking. I haven't drank coffee since, essentially. And so it's just made such a big difference uh, all around.
0: That's great, Radir. Let's kind of bring it back in the direction then of the conversations. And let me ask you this. You've done both sides. You've been a business developer, selling work. You've been a recipient of the services. And you've been an executive that chooses where you spend the money what do you think some of these difficult conversations are right now between those involved in selling work and their clients and prospective clients?
1: Yeah, and I think I want to bring it back a little bit to 2020 in this COVID layer before mm-hmm. we dive even further. And that's just to say that with all of that underlying energy, people may find that it's actually a little bit harder to step into these conversations.
0: Mm-hmm. And just
1: notice, you, know, you might have a little bit more reluctance or hesitancy to engage in dialogue. And so when it comes to business development, I think the biggest difficult question that people tend to face is actually just making that ask, hmm. right? Connecting with a client and actually asking them that, you know, I'd love to help them and I'd love to support them and figuring out ways to actually support their business with, with legal services. But sometimes right now with everything going on, people might think, I'm, first, I'm burdening someone people are going to see right through me and think I'm going to be asking you know, for something from them. And there's a lot of things that we might tell ourselves that might get in the way of connecting with potential clients or even our current clients to either invite in business or even expand business with someone that you're working with. Mm-hmm. And so just notice and pay attention. Are you Have you connected up with potential leads in the recent past? Have you worked on building community in certain ways? Have you started to make You know, have business conversations with them. Have you have you asked anyone for business in the recent past, or have you talked to someone about expanding your work with them? And just be curious about your comfort or your discomfort with that, and especially now with everything else going on.
0: What do you think are some of the big stressful conversations, like specifically from your work as a consultant to people in business development roles? Is it is it resolving conflict with clients? Is it selling work? Is it overcoming objections? What what are some of the more common stressful conversations right now.
1: One of the more difficult ones is actually even sharing business or how to split points with your colleagues and your partners. And so now you've worked hard to bring someone in and it was someone else's client before or someone had a relationship or you know people that are early on in their business development practice will find success with potential clients and then realize that there's either conflicts or issues with sharing credit with their colleagues. And those aren't easy conversations to have for folks. Right. So
0: how do you deal with that? What do you recommend? If they have, let's just say, they've got a shared client or whatever the credit's going to be, and they've got to go talk to a colleague, someone where their arms are supposed to be locked together in unity, how do you think they can make that conversation happen, especially right now with all the other stresses of COVID? Yeah, just first think about it. Is it an easy easy
1: conversation or is it a hard one? And if you feel like it's going to be a hard one, What's the resistance? And this is where I actually bring it back to the mindfulness piece a little bit, is when something's about to be difficult and we're going to engage in a difficult conversation with somebody, check in. This is the moment to do that intake. What happens in the body? A lot of people talk about, man, I actually feel a little tight in the chest or my shoulders tighten up or you know, I feel it on my, on my brow rubbing my forehead as I think about having to engage in dialogue with that person. And so just noticing that first. Right. Let's take a step back from the actual strategy and the problem solving, and just notice what go what happens to us when we think about having a conversation with that partner, you know, that person who we think is never going to let go of any credit from this particular client. And you just notice people feel a shortness of breath, they feel a nervousness, they feel their pulse raise, and they feel their temperature get high. Mm. And so, just checking in with that and seeing if you can notice it, maybe calm that down a little bit. Underneath that, that's sort of the body's fight or flight protection mechanism coming up. I'm about Mm -hmm. to have a difficult conversation, the body starts tensing up. Underneath that, there might be some negative message that you are telling yourself that is not true, that you don't have value vis-a-vis this more senior partner, that you don't deserve the credit on this one. There's something that you're telling yourself that's making this difficult. And so we often think about that other person as the difficult one. But I actually want to investigate a little bit closer and just be curious about something that you might be telling yourself
0: about this conversation that actually cuts against yourself. What do you think that comes from for most people when they feel like they're an imposter or they're second-guessing themselves? What do you think that comes from? It's long-standing behavior patterns that come up over
1: a long period of time. So, you know, it it can date back from early periods in life or examples where things didn't go right. We often tend to lock in on the few things that go wrong. But if we think about our life if you're listening to this call and you're a rainmaker or on your way there, by and large things have worked out. And right. yet, as lawyers, because we are trained to issue spot and look around corners and identify the problem, our mindsets to really focus in on the problem, and that's really great for the legal work. But it's really, you know, impactful negatively, adversely when it comes to your relationship with others. Right. So you don't always want to focus on that one negative thing that happens. So there may be a really tough conversation you had with a partner last year where someone really kind of smacked you down
0: on something and you hold on to that. And that may get in the way of this conversation that you're having right now. So do you think to make these conversations more productive and they're challenging and like we mentioned, you've got the layer of the crisis on top of that, that doubles down the stress and you know, just the likelihood of people feeling that stress. Do you think there are certain skills that people can develop to really master these tough, challenging conversations?
1: Yeah, first, I think it is getting comfortable with that uncomfortable feeling, right? That tightness that you feel,
0: just slow that down. And so how do you think they could do that? If, if they feel it, they've got to talk to their colleague, they set up a Zoom call or the phone call, it's 15 minutes until it happens and they start feeling that. What, what do you think they can do to manage that?
1: Yeah, step one, I love deep breathing or belly breathing. And belly breathing is a technique. Look it up on YouTube. Harvard Medical has a video on how to do it. This is not you know, some sort of um, esoteric practice. It's a very common practice. We, we tend to get shallow in our breath when we get nervous. And belly breathing increases the oxygen. In the Interesting. So just Interesting.
0: It. Something Good that it.
1: simple makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. I have litigators that are clients that text me right before trial. They're like, man, I'm doing those seven belly breaths you told me to do. And it actually made a difference. I'm going into my opening argument and I feel a lot better. That's it's, great. You know, even the experts get nervous before something that they've done many times. And so bringing oxygen back in the body, a lot of it goes a long way in settling your nerves. It reminds your body that you're safe and you can sort of calm down and, and collect your head. That's such a great idea. That's something that's simple. Anybody can do anywhere. Deeply valuable too. Listeners do it right now. Take three deep breaths and just see how it feels. And you'll feel hmm. just a little bit calmer, a little bit more gathered, and a little bit more centered. So that's the first step is just, just get comfortable with that feeling that's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Second, be curious. What is it that I'm saying to myself that, that makes me feel like I'm not ready for this conversation or that they might be thinking about me that's negative? I'm not senior enough. I didn't do enough work here. You know, there's this negative message that we're telling ourselves and write it down. Like, what is it that you feel like they are saying about you before you call them or that you're saying about
0: yourself that might be cutting against yourself? And just be curious about it and so you could just put it on a yellow sticky note and just write it down it's out of your head you're looking at it you're assessing it
1: now you're able to look at it objectively that's right you're sort of looking at it as sort of a third party you're like oh you know scott is telling himself that he's not you know up to snuff you know compared to this partner whatever it is you're telling yourself whatever mm-hmm. it might different for everybody write down the evidence against it write down And understand the evidence. Why that assumption that you make about yourself—that negative, adverse assumption that you're making about yourself—write down why it's absolutely not true. Now you're the lawyer collecting evidence. You're the lawyer collecting evidence on your behalf. So now you're just absolutely writing down the reasons why what you think is actually not true. So now we're sort of questioning the mind. The mind tells us, you know, it's getting us nervous with something we're worried about. It's like, why am I even worried? I'm worried because I think this about myself, whatever it may be. Let's write down the reasons why it's not true. And those like reasons it. are, this was your client. You connected with them. You reached out over the last few months. You're the person that did the work and you know generated their interest in working with the firm. Whatever the reasons are, the top 10 reasons, 15 right. reasons, 20, make the list long. And you'll start to realize that some of that thinking that's worrying you about this conversation are actually not true. That me fighting for these points are gonna you know, ruin how I'm being perceived at the firm. Like there's all these things that we start telling ourselves that right. may or may not be true, that this partner will never give me work again. Whatever it is that you say to yourself, you gotta be really curious. Is that absolutely true?
0: And you know what? I had a thought, Rudir. Everything that you're talking about is exactly what when those that have done sports you're managing your emotions as you're playing in your game, whether it's golf, I play a lot of golf, and the things that you're talking about, these certain mantras and rituals, those are the exact same thing that you can do in a sporting environment because your performance on the field is, it's directly dependent upon your emotional state. And by managing your emotions and doing the things that you're talking about, and I do that every day, I've got certain mantras and rituals that I tell myself when I wake up, and it's really helped me significantly I think that that kind of helps people to wrap their mental part of the game into a productive stance that helps them going forward. What do you think about that?
1: Well, what comes up for me is when we think about people that talk about playing basketball or even golf, they envision themselves with an incredible swing. They Mm -hmm. envision themselves you know, seeing that ball go in and they see that. And so that relates directly to what I was going to say next is actually... Think about this conversation actually going well. What would happen if it went well? What would be the best case outcome? We're so quick to keep the score against us, you know, to look at, to weigh the favors against us. We're so quick to identify the risks. What would the rewards be? What what would happen if this worked out? What would that look like? What would an incredible conversation look like? And sort of bringing that vision into the mindset. Pre-play the shot. Yeah, do that
0: here in the conversation. See what that feels like. What's the best case scenario? Well, this is fantastic, Radir. I really think you've got some solid content. I like the tactical action steps that you talked about. It's something that doesn't cost us money to do. We can implement it right away. And we focus on our breathing. We write down, we observe the negative feelings or or whatever it is that you mentioned, the different uh, symptoms that we have. And then we write down the negative evidence against that and then replay that in our mind and pre-play that shot going well. I think that's great. And tell me about some of the work that you do. Tell us, those that are listening, if they want to reach out to you, we'll put all of your contact information on the show notes, but kind of tell us about the menu of offerings that you have. And then especially, I want to hear about the BD circle that you have going on.
1: Yeah, we'll start with that. I run a business development class. It is a group coaching class and I call it the BD circle uh, or business development circle. And we get about you know, 10 to 15 attorneys together, partner level or near partner, you know, partner track or partner level attorneys together. And we connect over six months, uh, attorneys across the country. And it's an incredible space because we often don't feel comfortable talking to our colleagues about business development. Again, having that conversation, especially because we don't feel comfortable talking to them about when things go wrong. Right. right? Sure. When we reach out to a client, it doesn't work out. And so that ends up, feeling very uncomfortable to have in terms of conversation with, with friends and colleagues. And so I create this space. I create this incredible learning space where we gather you know, once a week and we learn over the course of six months how to understand your value proposition. How do you create and generate an incredible business plan that relates to the types of clients you want and the business you want to generate? What is that practice you want? What's the plan that we can come up with that really directly brings you closer to living out that that vision that you have? And then what are the action steps that you can take? And we really sort of work on coming up with a very unique plan for each of the participants in the program. And then we hold people accountable to that plan over the course of many months. And people come out of the program feeling so much more comfortable having dialogue around developing business or expanding the practice that they have. And so it's just an incredible group learning environment. We often don't get that camaraderie and collegiality around BD. It's the thing that we're sort of left alone to. Right, you know, Litigation and legal work can often feel like teamwork, except for business development. We often feel alone in that practice. And so here I've sort of created the space to allow people to do
0: this in in
1: community and and collectively and and get coached on it along the way.
0: That's a great offering, Redir, And we'll definitely put that on the show notes as well, if people want to reference that and reach out to Redir directly. And Radir, thank you for being on the show today. We've got some great ideas. I hope everybody listening can go back and and listen to this one again and implement some of the action steps that you talked about. And I look forward to having you back on here again, Redir. I'd love to have you back on as a guest in the future. Thank you, Scott. I really appreciate this time. This was incredible. Thank you for listening to The Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.